message this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18. If you have your Bibles, please turn there with me. While you're turning there, let me just briefly introduce myself. My name is Devin Kahn, and I am the junior high coordinator here. And all that means is that uh, I can't afford a regular-sized Bible, <laughs> and I'm not used to preaching the Word in a suit. So that's, that's, that's the only difference. Turn with me now to Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 1. Before we, we read the text, and as you're turning there, uh, this morning we're going to concentrate on prayer. And there's a lot of different things that we could talk about. The Bible talks about many different aspects of prayer. We could talk about the importance of prayer, or how to pray, or why pray. This morning I really want to focus in on persisting in prayer. Uh, and that's what this parable is about. Uh, So turn there with me. Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 1. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that that they should always pray and not give up. He said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused But finally, he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. Uh, We'll we'll pick that up uh, in in a little bit. But let me just start by saying that this is a parable. uh, And we looked at a couple weeks ago, uh, the parable. Um, and a parable is just a story that Jesus tells here to his disciples. Uh, and now to understand this story, we need to look at it in, in context. In chapter 17, Jesus has just finished telling uh, people that have asked about the coming of the kingdom of God. And all he's, he's talking about here is, is people are wondering, when is Jesus going to return? When is the kingdom of, the, kingdom of God in its fullness going to appear? Right? We live in a time where Jesus has already come. Right? He came down from heaven to earth as a savior to save the lost. Right? And he died and he rose again. And now we now live in a time where we wait for Jesus' second return. Where he's going to come back one day, not as a savior, but as a judge. He's coming to judge both the living and the dead. So he's just finishing talking to Pharisees and other people about when he's coming. And then he tells us this story. So to understand this text fully, you need to know that he's when he's talking about persisting in prayer and not giving up in prayer, which is the title of the sermon. He's talking about prayer for the second coming. Right. Um, Let me ask you a question. Have you ever prayed for something that didn't happen? If you're somebody that prays, the answer is yes. Right. Let me, let me take it a step further. Have you ever prayed for something over and over and over again? Weeks, months, years, and you're still praying for it, and it still hasn't happened. I have. And I'm not talking about praying to win the lottery, right? Or praying that your team wins it all this year. Uh, I'm talking about, you know, we pray for the sick and they don't get healed. We pray for God to provide, yet we're still out of work. We pray for those who don't know him, who don't have a personal relationship with him, 
And yet these people, they continue to run away from God. What do we do with that? What do we do with something that we've prayed for over and over again and we just don't see any results? I'll tell you what I do. I give up. I tend to give up. I tend to lose hope in prayer. I tend to lose hope in, you know, what God is doing through the prayer. I start to doubt. I start to lose faith in, does prayer actually work? And I tend to give up. I tend to stop praying because I get discouraged and I I just, I lose my hope. And and that's what Jesus is telling his disciples. He's saying in verse one, the reason why I'm telling you this parable is this, to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Jesus doesn't always explain his parables, right? Sometimes we read a parable and we're left wondering and trying to figure out and interpret it the right way and figure out what exactly means. Thankfully, Jesus just Flat out explains what he's about to say in this parable. Uh, and then in the story, he tells a story of, of two people, two characters in the story. And they're both very strong characters, but very different. We have a man and a woman. And already there's a big difference. And in, in this culture, you know, men were giving, given much more importance, significance, power than women were. Uh, and so we have already a challenge where this woman is trying to approach this man, and she's seeking justice, right? She's, she has an adversary. In verse 4, it talks about how, uh, or verse 3, she has an adversary, right? All that means is she has an enemy, someone who's committed a crime against her. We don't know who it is or what they've done to her. But somebody has wronged her, and all she's looking for is justice, but with the, in this story, you have a man and a woman, and already the woman is at a disadvantage in trying to get this man to do something for her. But then you think of the fact that this man is, is an unjust judge, Jesus calls him. He's a crooked judge. Uh, we can call him crooked because in verse, verse 2 it says, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. Right? So we have this crooked judge who doesn't fear God. All that means is that he doesn't care what God says. He doesn't care about God's word or God's law or his authority, right? He has no respect for him, no awe for him. And he also doesn't care about men. I don't understand how this judge got to be a judge. Uh, He's a terrible judge. He's a crooked judge. Uh, I don't know. Maybe he got to be a judge because he had the coolest signs on the side of the road that said... You know, vote for me because I know his slogan wasn't going to give him any votes, right? Vote for me. I don't care about you sort of thing, right? That, that's not going to work, right? I don't know how this guy became judge, but here's, here's the judge we have, an unjust judge who doesn't care about God or care about men. And then we have to think about the widow, right? This woman who's already at a disadvantage because she's a woman, but she's also a widow. Widows in this society were outcasts. Uh, They had no rights. They were helpless. They were vulnerable. Nobody was there to protect them, Uh, right? Her husband has passed away. So when she has this adversary, somebody who has attacked her in some way or, or, or committed a crime against her, she has no one to defend her, no one to protect her, right? She's an outcast in this society. So we have two very different characters, a, a strong powerful man who's a judge so he's given a lot of power in that in that position a lot of clout and then we have a helpless widow 
And what does the widow want? She wants justice. Right? And, and this widow doesn't have money. Right? It, it, in this day, if you had a lot of money, you could probably bribe this judge, especially since it's a crooked judge. You could probably, you know, flash some money and all, all would be settled. But she didn't have money. Uh, she doesn't have power, right? We've talked about how she's in a vulnerable, a vulnerable position. She's powerless. So she doesn't have these things that other people have in order to get justice. But what she does have is a particular set of skills. A set of skills that makes it a nightmare for people like him. She has persistence. She doesn't have money. She doesn't have power. She has persistence, though, and she uses it very well in this passage. Uh, And just so we're all on the same page, to persist means to continually and firmly take an action despite struggles or despite failures or opposition. So it's to continue firmly in a course of action despite these things. She has persistence. She went to the judge. Look at verse 3 with me. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. Verse 4, for some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice. Uh, The ESV translates verse 5, yet because she beats me down, right? Because she's worn me out to the point of, of exhaustion. The original languages even make a stronger case where it talks about giving him a black eye, right? She messed this guy up, right? Not because she punched him, but because she just wore him down with continual asking and pleading and begging of this unjust judge. And, he, and she did, right? She wore him down. And that's the only reason why she gave into him, or he gave into her. Uh, I can identify with this skill of persistence, right? So can you, I have a feeling. I know when I was growing up in my house, uh, I have a brother who's two years older than I am, and uh, we shared a bathroom. So if you have siblings, you know what I'm about to say. Uh, we shared a bathroom, and, and he liked to spend a lot of time in front of the mirror, looking at himself, checking himself out. But when I needed to use the bathroom, I couldn't get in there because he was using it. And so what do you have to do? You have to pester, you have to annoy, you have to bother him so much so that he gets out of the bathroom so I can brush my teeth or maybe check my own face out in the mirror. Um, you know, this technique works, right? Maybe, you know, he's in the bathroom, maybe I'm, Chris, Chris, get out. You know, maybe I'm knocking loudly and nonstop, or maybe I'm just yelling at him. Maybe I'm using my words, begging with him to get out, right? Persistence, right? It's this idea of continuing firmly in a course of action despite opposition, struggles, or failures. I wasn't going to give up until I was able to use the bathroom, right? Uh, And neither did this widow. She did not give up until she got justice. What can we learn from this passage on prayer? Simply put, it's this. Persistence in prayer pays off. Persistence in prayer pays off. 
Now, persistence isn't always a good thing, right? Uh, You think of persistence being a good quality for everything and anything. Well, it's not, right? One can persist down the wrong path. One can persist in their lying, right? In their web of lies to others or the people around them. One can persist in being right all the time, right? You can persist in any kind of sinful behavior where you continue firmly to do this, no matter what kind of consequences it brings, no matter what struggles or pain it brings you and your family, you continue and you persist in these things. These are, these are not good things to persist in, but, but Jesus says in this passage, what is good is to persist in prayer. Persistence in prayer pays off. Often in Jesus' parables, you can, you can look at the characters in the parable and you can, uh, you can find a character that represents God. Right, just an example: the the parable of the prodigal son, where where God is represented by the father in the story who welcomes his son back after repenting. Right, we see God in that story, represented in that story. So often in parables, we, we can pick out a character and say, "Yep, yeah, that's what God is like." However, in this passage, God is not in one of the characters. He's not represented by either of the characters. Right, he's not the persistent widow who's helpless and powerless and vulnerable, right? Who's dependent, right? God is not like that. And he's not the unjust judge, right? If you read this passage and you're looking for God, you might think he's the judge. You might think he's similar to the judge, but he's nothing like this judge in this passage. And that's good news for us. God is nothing like this unjust judge. First of all, this unjust judge gets annoyed with the widow's requests, right? She she annoys him, right? This unjust unjust judge just gets annoyed with her. And we know that God does not get annoyed with our continual requests. He does not get annoyed with our persistence in prayer. Why do how do we how do we know that? We know that because he tells us always pray. In this passage, right? He says, always pray. Other passages, pray without ceasing, right? God wants us to continue and persist in prayer. We're not going to annoy God. If you think you can wear God down or, 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 or beat him down, you're giving yourselves way too much credit, right? There's no way we can wear this God down, right? He, he calls us to pray. The good news is this God is nothing like this unjust judge. This unjust judge doesn't care about the widow, right? To him, this widow is a stranger and an outcast, right? To the unjust judge. But to God, if you are one of his chosen ones, look, at, look with me at verse 6 through 8. We'll read the rest of this parable. Verse 6, And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? This passage, especially in verse 6 through 8, we see that this parable, this passage is a how much more passage. 
it's a how much more passive. What I mean by that is this unjust judge, this lowercase j judge, right, grants this widow her justice. He gives in to her. And the passage is saying, Jesus is saying, not that God is like this unjust judge. He's saying, how much more will God, your heavenly father, grant you justice quickly? This is a how much more passage, right? God is not like the lowercase j judge. The unjust judge doesn't care about the widow, what she's going through. Uh, If you are one of God's chosen, if you are a believer, you have been adopted into God's family. You are not a widow, a strange widow with no rights. You are a son or a daughter in his family. He chose you before the foundations of the earth. He cares about you. He cares what you're going through, right? This this unjust judge, he could care less what this widow is going through. He just wanted to get rid of her. But our God, our Heavenly Father, cares deeply about your struggles, about your sufferings, about your pain. And lastly, this unjust judge, he doesn't care about justice. He doesn't care about right and wrong. How do I know that? His name gives it away, right? Unjust judge. It's pretty simple, right? This unjust judge doesn't care about justice. He is lowercase J judge who's corrupt and crooked. But God is nothing like that, right? He is capital J judge. God is judge over all the earth. And he cares deeply about justice. He cares about the widow. He cares about you and I, right? He cares about justice. In verse 8, look with me there. I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. Stop right there. And quickly. So God cares about justice, right? He's, gonna, he's going to deliver us justice Maybe in this lifetime, but definitely in the next. If you're one of his, if you're adopted, if you're one of his chosen ones, and you're in the family, right? He cares about you. He cares about justice. And he says he'll do it quickly. Now, we have to understand that this is not according to our timetable, right? Some of you read that, and I read that, and I say, I don't think God is acting very quickly on my behalf. Right? I'm waiting a long time for things I've been praying about. I don't think it's what he's doing is too quick. Quickly. He's not working according to my timetable, right? He's working according to his timetables. You know, the Bible talks about how to God, what, what seems like a thousand years to us is like a day to him. So when, when God says, I will deliver justice to you quickly, it's according to his timetable. We must remember that. But why? Why does God ask us to persist in prayer? Why does God tell us to keep on asking? Doesn't that seem a bit cruel to you? Right? That the Heavenly Father makes you continue to ask and ask the same request over and over again? Right? Why is it that He delays? Why is it when we pray something, He says, not now? Why would he delay? Why why would we have to keep on praying? That seems a bit cruel. 
Thomas Watson, who is a well-known pastor in the 17th century, gives four great reasons why. To the question, why does God make us keep asking and keep praying? He has four great reasons, and these are worth writing down, not because I've said them, but because this pastor in the 17th century said them. The first reason he gives for why God keeps us waiting is this. Number one, God loves to hear the voice of prayer. He goes on to say, you let the musician play a great while before you throw him down money because you love to hear the music. Right? If you've ever been in a city where there are street performers and there's very talented musicians just along the street, you listen to their song before you throw down a dollar. Right? You don't go up to them and throw down a dollar and then leave. Right? You, God loves to hear your prayers. Your prayers are music to his ears. Good music to his ears. Right? You can't annoy God with prayer. Uh, the point of this parable isn't, okay, go home, annoy God enough for him to give in to you. Right? God loves to hear the voice of prayer. Secondly, why does God keep us waiting? Secondly, that he may humble us. Watson says, we may too easily assume that he is at our beck and call like a butler, not a sovereign Lord or loving father. Can you imagine if you got what you prayed for immediately every time? Can you imagine what you would start to think? I'll tell you what you would start to think. You would start to think, God exists for my happiness. You would start to think that God is here and his existence, his purpose in life is to make me happy and to answer all my requests immediately and exactly the way I, I want them to go. Right? When, when quite the opposite is true, God ex we exist for God's glory. Right, not the other way around. We exist for Him. Uh, he is not our heavenly genie that we can just go to when we're in trouble and He immediately fixes it. Right, we exist for Him. Thirdly, Watson says this, because He sees we are not yet fit or ready for the mercy we seek. He goes on to say, it may be He has things to put in place. There are a million pieces to the puzzle. Some things go first to make a place for the others. Right? When you're putting together a puzzle, right, there's an order to it. You start with the border, you start with the border pieces, and you work your way inward. Right? There's an order to it. Maybe what you're praying for is a middle piece, and God's still creating the border. Right? There's an order to God's plan for your life. It's not chaos. It's not... Uh, random, right? Maybe the mercy that you seek, the justice that you seek, is a not now. That's his response. It's You're not ready for what you ask. You're not ready for the mercy that you seek. And finally, the last reason, number four, is this. The mercy that we pray for may be the more prized and may be sweeter when it comes. Right? If you have to wait for something, if you pray for something over and over and over again, the longer it takes, the more you appreciate it, the more sweeter it is, the more prized it is when it actually does 
come. Uh, I watched the ESPY Awards this past week. Uh, if you don't know what that is, it's basically the Grammys or the Oscars for athletes. They give away prizes, you know, awards like Best Male Athlete, Best Female Athlete, Best Team Award, uh, and, and such and such. And one award they give away is called the Arthur Ashe Award. I don't know if any of you watch the ESPYs. Um, but they gave away this Arthur Ashe Award, uh, and this award stands for courage. It is an award given to somebody who displays uh, a great amount of courage, whether that has to do with sports or just in life in general. And, and they gave the award to this man named Dewey Bozella. Dewey, Bo- Dewey Bozella uh, won the award, and the reason why he won the award was because he had been wrongfully imprisoned for 30 years. He was convicted of a crime that he did not commit. And he spent 30 years in prison. He spent 30 years, and I won't tell you the whole story, he spent 30 years writing letters to people. Help me. I need justice. Sounds like the persistent widow, right, who pleads for justice. This man, Dewey, in prison, helpless, vulnerable, right, had no money, had nowhere to go. All he had was persistence. He kept writing letters and more letters, 30 years. And finally, he gets released. Evidence comes to light, new evidence, and they say, you were innocent all along. Now, if I were him, I would be angry, right? I would be very upset and mad at everybody, especially that justice system, right? It didn't work. Er, You know, everything's corrupt. And and I would be angry. This man, you could just see from the interviews he's done and the speech that he gave, he's not angry one bit. You know why? He's been waiting 30 years for freedom. Right? He says, I don't have time to get angry. (laughs) I just spent 30 years in jail. I'm just going to enjoy this freedom, this justice that's finally been given to me. So when we pray for things and and we don't get it immediately, we don't get it in a month, a year, 10 years, how sweet it is when it does come, right? How how much more sweeter and prize is justice going to be, whether it's this lifetime or the next, when it does come? The last one is this. Um... Well, let me say, when it comes to prayer, we must keep this fact in front of us. God is Father, and we are children. If you're one of His, you are one of His children. But we must remember, God is Father, and we are children. The Father always has the right to do what is best for His children, even if they don't understand why it is best. Right? The Father always has the right to do what's best for His children, even if the children don't understand why it's best. Right? This is why, parents, you have to teach your kids not to take candy from strangers. Right? When I was a kid, my goal in life was to get candy. Right? I woke up in the morning. Why? To get candy. My mom would ask me, how was your day today? If I'd gotten candy that day, it was a great day. If I had not received any candy... And it was all right. Right? This is why you have to teach children not to take candy from strangers. Because my, the reason why I lived was to get candy. And so when my parents told me, you can't take candy from 
strangers. I didn't understand, right? I was probably mad at them. I'm like, does this mean there's less candy for me, right? I would do whatever it took to get more candy. And that's why parents have to be very strong in teaching their kids. You may not understand this, but I guarantee you this is for your best, right? The father, God, the father has the right to do what is best. And thank God he, he is doing what is best on our behalf, whether we understand it or not. Look at verse eight and I'll close with this. I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the son of man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Now, the last part of verse eight, when you first read it or first take a look at it, you think, does this verse even belong in this passage? Like, when did we start talking about the son of man comes and faith on the earth? I thought we were talking about prayer. Right. But this verse has everything to do with what we talked about earlier about Jesus had just finished talking about when Jesus' second return would be and that we can't lose hope and, and, and we have to persist in prayer for that second coming. And, and he turns the tables on us and he asks us a question, right? We, we like to ask God questions like, why are you doing this? Why aren't you doing this? God asks you, a, you and I a question. He says, when I do come back, my second return, when I do come back and when the kingdom of God and its fullness comes, Am I going to find faith on this earth? Am I going to find people that persist in prayer? Right? Because to persist in prayer takes a lot of faith. Right? It takes faith to believe in who God is and, and, and what he is to us. Right? Our confidence in, in prayer and in persisting in prayer doesn't come, obviously, from ourselves. It comes from who God is. God is a capital J judge who cares about justice. He cares about his chosen ones. He cares about this widow. He cares about uh, your prayers. He loves to hear the voice of your prayer. So knowing that, that gives us confidence to persist, to firmly continue in prayer, no matter the consequences or struggles. This passage is a how much more passage, right? If this crooked judge was willing to give this widow justice, how much more will our heavenly father who deeply cares about his chosen one who cries out to him day and night how much more will he grant his chosen ones justice god has his reasons for saying no to your prayers he has his reasons for saying not yet our job is to keep praying let's pray Lord, thank you for prayer. Thank you for this passage on prayer. Lord, I confess to you that I tend to give up on prayer. I tend to give up on things that I've been praying for over and over again. And, and I don't see any results sometimes. Lord, help me to understand that you care deeply about me, about your chosen ones. Lord, help me to know that you love to hear my prayers. Help me to know that there's no reason to give up hope. Lord, that you command us, encourage us to persist in our prayers because it does pay off. You will deli deliver justice and you will deliver it quickly. God, encourage us, help us to keep praying. In Jesus' name, amen.